0: And all of our tomorrows. You may be seated. And that song really speaks to uh, the meaning of life uh, found in Christ. And it it really prepares us, I think, uh, for our Bible reading this morning, which is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And so if you would, if you have your Bibles with you, um, please turn there. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, there might be one under the The seat, and you can look there. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 uh, to 11 from the English Standard Version of the Bible. This is the word of the Lord. The words of the preacher, or the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem is what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun is there a thing of which it is said see this is new it has already been in the ages before us there is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after And this is uh, the word, the inspired word of God. And uh, let's come to God in prayer as we seek his understanding uh, for this text. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we seek help in understanding your word. Use the scriptures this morning to change those of us who are hard-hearted. Challenge those of us who are backslidden. Lord, correct those of us who are wayward. Lord, bring clarity to those of us who are confused, and we pray that you would comfort those of us who are discouraged. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, I think that one of the main questions uh, that the book of Ecclesiastes uh, evokes is that age-old question what is the meaning of life it's the one of those questions that has been asked uh, a thousand times and people have given thousands and thousands of different answers to this question what is life about some people say that life is about being happy other people say life is about um, enjoying it as much as you can having as much fun as you can uh, because it doesn't last long other people say that life is about making a lot of money and in enjoying your money. Others say that life is about staying healthy and avoiding sickness. There are those who say that we live for the, the perfect work-life balance, that if only I can uh, work a, uh, maybe 30 hours a week and rest uh, the rest of the week, that, that my life would be perfect if I could only do that. Some people say life is about defending my personal rights and freedoms or about being a good person, or about caring for the environment. So there are all of these different interpretations of what life is all about. What is the meaning of life? Well, Scripture does give us that answer. And that answer is found, I believe, here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Take your Bible, look at chapter 12. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, verse thirteen, sorry. We're actually told the meaning of life, and the author says here that this is the end of the matter. All that has been heard. This is life's meaning. Fear God, and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. In other words, the meaning of life, says the Bible, is that reverent, awestruck, faithful, faith-filled fear in God, fear of the Lord responding in obedience, faith, repentance, and a life changed by the gospel. That's the meaning of life, uh, tell, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. The Catechism summarizes this when it says that man's chief end, his greatest purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes. We're going to take a short break from Revelation and we're going to talk about the meaning of life as told by this man uh, who is simply called, in verse 1, the, the preacher, the teacher. I believe that this uh, preacher or teacher here that wrote this book was Solomon because we're told, look, in verse 1, that he is the son of David and he's the king of Jerusalem. So I've identified that as, as Solomon. A lot of people think that it's Solomon. Some people think it might be another Uh, king in the line of David, that's okay. Uh, But I'll refer to him as he refers to himself, the teacher. Today we're going to study chapter one. And um, we're going to look at two perspectives on life. Uh, The first perspective is life under the sun, S-U-N, life under the sun. And then the second perspective is life under the Son, S-O-N, the Son of God. Isn't that witty? Um. Uh, Life under the sun and life under the the sun. Um, I think that that's probably a a way that we can uh, understand this text here. So starting with that first perspective, life under the sun, the S-U-N. Now, the teacher, as he's called here in chapter 1, He's he's just looking at the world around him, and he's making all of these observations. He's observing that the the world is fleeting, that it's toilsome, that it's repetitive, that it's tiring. And he makes this first observation in verse 2 that the world is fleeting. Now, pay attention to that first word. It says vanity, vanity of vanities says the teacher. All is vanity. And this word vanity pops up here uh, in this chapter five times, and then it pops up throughout the book 38 times. And that Hebrew word for vanity is the word hevel. It rhymes with level. And um, it really just can be translated as vain or futile or fleeting or hollow or empty. Another way of translating this word hevel uh, is the, it can be translated as the word vapor or smoke. So that when you look at verse one, it reads vapor of vapors, everything is vapor. Or mist of mists, everything is mist. Or smoke of smoke, everything is smoke. And it's getting at this idea that all things are transient and fleeting. So that's the word hevel. I taught you a new word and you can go impress your friends with this word. you can go to a campfire and you can say, look at all that hevel. Or when you wake up in the morning you see your breath, you can say, I can see my hevel. And um, it's one of those words that has a lot of different meanings. What the author of Ecclesiastes is saying here is he's saying, if you look at life, it just, it looks like a mist, a smoke, a vapor. It comes. And it goes, and it's fleeting. And uh, I think the book of James is getting at the same idea when it says that, uh, when it says this: "What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while, and then vanishes." And so the idea here is that this this material world, all of our possessions, uh, all of the things that we hold dear, they are temporary. Every month you get paid, and the money comes into your account as quickly as it leaves your account. Success is temporary. Wealth is temporary. Some of you are 20 years old, and you've got no wrinkles, and you've got no gray hair, and and there's good news, and there's bad news for you. The good news is you're probably in the most peak physical condition that you've ever been in your life, and the bad news is it's all downhill from here. (laughs) So, Yeah. Good times. <laughs> you have a good career. You have a nice home, a tight knit group of friends. Again, Ecclesiastes is saying all of these things are like a vapor or a mist. Now, have a look at verse 11 with me. It says, not only are these things like a, a vapor, but these things will eventually be forgotten. There is no remembrance, says the teacher of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the things that are to come. Uh, You know, a few weeks ago, we had the chance to celebrate our 10 year anniversary. We went to uh, these ancient ruins in Vietnam. And they were just like, it was just amazing to think, you know, the kind of structures that were, that stood there in that spot in the ancient world, but they were all crumbling and they were all fading and they were in complete disrepair. And there might come a day when, you know, the Sydney Opera House or the Eiffel Tower or uh, the Statue of Liberty, when those things are in disrepair, when those things are crumbling monuments of an ancient empire. And we have to remember this, that these things that we think have all this permanence, well, the Bible says that they're just transient. They're just temporary. Reminds me of what Paul said in Colossians. He says... Set your mind not on the things that are below, not on earthly things, but on the things that are above. And I'm also reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Jesus said, do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust can corrupt. Now that's not to say that material things don't matter. It's not to say that that we shouldn't create a nice home for ourselves or buy a a vehicle uh, to get around. But it is to give us this perspective that that as Christians, we recognize that all things have their meaning and their being in Christ, that that we look at life not through the materialistic lens that society looks at the world, but we look at, at our lives in light of our Lord Jesus Christ and his purpose for our lives and his mission for the world. The idea here is that these material things we love so much, they're like a vapor, but we know that Jesus Christ said he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that the things of Christ will last forever. And so there are fleeting things in this life and there are eternal things as well, right? You silly argument that you've had with a friend. That's fleeting. it's not going to last forever. But the relationship that you have with a brother or sister in Christ, that is eternal. Um, you probably want to provide a beautiful home for your children. That's a good thing. You know, you decorate your house and you make it look, look nice. And, but that's not going to last forever. But what will last forever? Investing. In your children. Spending time with them. Teaching them the things of Christ. Raising them to know Jesus Christ. So there are these things that are fleeting. But we as Christians know that life is to be lived for the glory of God. Let's move on to that second point here. Toilsome. Verse 3 tells us that life is toilsome. What does man gain from all his toil? Verse 3 says. Now that word toil... It's not the same as the word work. Toil and work are different. Let me give you an example. In Genesis 1, God worked for six days. And then he rested on the seventh day. But he did not toil. Adam in the garden worked. He, he took care of the, the beasts of the field. He took care of the garden. He worked. He worked hard. But he did not Toil. Toil is the the pain and the frustration and the anxiety and the annoyance and the sweat and the suffering that accompanies work. Toil is swinging a hammer and putting your back out or swinging a hammer and, and hitting your thumb. That's toil. Toil, we know, is a product of the fall. We live in a world that is filled with toil because we... And our father, Adam, uh, sinned against God. That's why there's toil in the world. Let me read Genesis 3. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, God says to Adam, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Um, When we garden, and we see all the weeds in our garden choking all the good fruit and all the the vegetables and whatnot, that's toil. That's toil. Because it's the, the pain of our labors. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. The consequence of Adam's sin is this element of toil that we all of us experience. This this frustrating toil that, um, that causes us to, to cry out to God and say, Lord, please just... Help me. The most frustrating, frustrating thing about toil is that when we work, we don't always produce the things we want to produce. And verse 2 gets at this. It says, what does a man gain from all his toil? You know, the farmer, he wakes up in the morning, he goes out to his field to check on, on the crop and he discovers that it's been destroyed and, and uh, pelted by hail. Or that a frost has destroyed the, the crop. Or that that insects have, have completely destroyed it. Yeah, I remember uh, joining the workforce and getting my first paycheck. Payday was coming, I was so excited. And I got my check in the mail. And I, I, as I opened the, the paycheck, my jaw dropped because I saw all the deductions. <laughs> we lived in Socialist Canada. $200 for taxes, $30 for unemployment, $70 for Canada Pension Plan, $15 for union dues, $40 for emplo- unemployment benefits. And, uh, and by the end of it all, I wondered, well, what's the point of it all? All this hard work I've done, you know, scooping ice cream. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just all going, uh, it's slipping out of my hands. So that's toil. And we get frustrated by these moments in life, you know these, these tedious moments uh, when when say you you've you've typed a document and you've forgotten to save it, and all of a sudden it just disappears from your computer. That's toil. I've had that happen before Sunday sermon. That's devastating. Um, or other times, you know, we see the news, the the kind of toil that people experience when they've worked so hard for something, and and floods and wildfires and. And these natural disasters just rip it from their hands. And so as, as people, just people living in this world, we see the fleeting nature of life. We see the toilsome nature of life. And that's what the author of Ecclesiastes is describing. Life in this fallen, sin-filled, toilsome world. And he's blunt about what he sees. It's fleeting. It's toilsome. It's repetitive. It has, as one person said, uh, all, it has the permanence of sandcastles on the beach. The, we think that, that it's going to last and then the wind and the waves come and, and rip it from us. A third point here. Life is repetitive. And I think the bulk of this chapter speaks about the repetitive nature of life. Look at verses 9 and 10. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can anyone say about anything, look, uh, this is new? No. It has already existed in ages before it. A few years ago, an experiment was done at MIT. And in this experiment, students were given two drinks One was uh, labeled the original recipe, one was labeled new and improved. The only difference between the two drinks was that the new and improved one had two drops of vinegar. And the students were asked to uh, test which one they liked better, the new and improved one or the original one. And they came out saying, no, we like the new, new and improved one much better. It tastes so much better than the original, when in fact there was really no difference. Most of the time, New and improved things are just old things packaged in different forms. We think that life in the modern world is is new and improved. I mean, we have smartphones and we have planes and trains and automobiles. But the problems of life are really just the same. People still wake up in the morning with a sore back. People still fight with each other. The problems of life are the same. At the start of the pandemic, the media kept saying, these are unprecedented times. These are unprecedented times. These are unprecedented times. But I think the author of Ecclesiastes would say, these are not unprecedented times. Because pandemics have existed before us and pandemics will continue to exist after us. We might not deal with them exactly the same way. But these things are not new. And he says that nothing is new under the sun. I'll look at this other part here, verse 4. He says, a generation goes, and a generation uh, comes. Now, um, we've got lots of generations in our church. During the children's talk, you saw um, the beautiful children here, uh, eager to learn the Bible, which is a huge blessing. Um, and we've got these handful of cute kids in our church, and I've come to call them biscuit bandits, because every Sunday morning after the service, they race to the biscuits, And they raid the biscuits. And then um, I go and the biscuits are all gone. So pastor gets no biscuits. But eventually, these precious children will grow old. And their kids will become the biscuit bandits. So generations come and generations go. Look at verse 5. The sun rises. The sun sets and it rises and it sets. And it's getting at the fact that there are these mundane Uh, cycles in life. You know, spring, summer, winter, fall, spring, summer, winter, spring, summer, autumn, winter. (laughs) Plants sprout, they flower, they fruit, they die. As verse 6 says, the wind blows to the south and then to the north, and then it returns on its course, and life is like a merry-go-round. It goes on and on and over and over and over again. And that's that's not a bad thing. And sometimes we complain about these ordinary things in life the predictable things. We get bored with life and then, and then we complain about it. And we say, oh, I'm tired of work. Or, I'm tired of school and I'm tired of the traffic. And in winter we say, oh, when will it be summer? And then in summer we say, oh, when will it be winter? And when it's raining, we, we want sunshine. And when we're in drought, we pray for rain. But have you ever stopped to look at life from a different perspective? That these cycles of life That the ordinary, that the the mundane, that, that these simple things in life are really and truly a gift from God that we should thank Him for. The sun rises every morning. Thank God for that. Where would we be if the sun didn't rise every morning? Let's move on to another point. Life in this world is tiring. And it's tiring in more than just one way. You know, it can be it can be uh, physically demanding, but also you know, emotionally demanding, spiritually demanding. It can be um, incredibly wearying to live in this world. Um, I have a really good vantage point right here. And you think that I can't see you, but I can. And uh, I see it when people sleep. <laughs> but I also understand it. Because you come to church and you've worked 50 hours and you're exhausted. Uh, you wake at five in the morning and you get home at 6 p.m. You've got kids at home. They're running around. Uh, you love them, but they, they, they take the energy out of you. So we all experience weariness and tiredness. And we get weary of you know, conflict, and we get weary of bad news, and we get weary of sickness. And some of us uh, experience uh, things like depression and anxiety and you're so weary of that. And Ecclesiastes is looking at life in this fallen world and saying, you, we're tired as people. This is a product of the fall, tiredness. We work and work and work and we never find rest, which is why we need the Lord's Day, which is why we need one day in seven to come together to, to rest, to find our rest in Christ and to go home and rest as people. We, we're not built, we're not designed to work seven days in a row God designed us to work six days and to rest on the seventh. So life in this world is wearying. And and if you look at verse 8, we're actually told how people respond to what they see. Verse 8, and you could read it this way. Um, I'll give you a paraphrase here. Our eyes and our ears express dissatisfaction with the things we see and hear. In other words, we are dismayed and displeased and disheartened and disillusioned and disturbed by some of the things we see and hear in this life. And what do we say to that? Often we say, well, I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. I'm so over this. I, I'm, I'm fed up with this. And we want these, these uh, troubles of life to go away. But what does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to take all of our weariness, all of our tiredness, and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. I will give you a sense of spiritual rest. I will uh, invite you into the, the presence of my grace so that you don't have to work and work and work and work to earn your salvation, but you can have it as a free gift. He offers us that hope of eternal rest where where we can one day come and, and have that promise of rest in his presence. And so Christ calls us to find our rest in him, find our comfort in him. And we need that in a weary world. That's why we gather on the Lord's day. That's why we gather in person on the Lord's day so that we can rest with other Christians. Now, We've looked at these points here. Life is fleeting, life is toilsome, life is repetitive, life is tiring. And I want to draw to your attention for just a moment, a little sidebar here, that um, in the NIV translation of the Bible, though I think the NIV is a really good translation, especially the 1984 version, and you can trust your Bibles, I think the translation in the NIV is not the best. So who has an NIV? You don't have to raise your hand, but just look at your NIV if you have it, okay? And there's a word there in verse 1, and it says, meaningless. All is meaningless. And I do get why they translated it that way. But I don't think that's the best translation. Because the author of Ecclesiastes is not saying that life is meaningless. In fact, the Bible says that life is filled with meaning, even for the unbeliever. Proverbs 16:4 says, "The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble." So yes, life is fleeting, life is short. Life in, in some ways lacks meaning if you don't live uh, for the glory of God, but life is not meaningless. Life is filled with meaning. And God gives it a greater. God in Christ gives it that, that greater sense of meaning and worth and purpose, which brings me to another point here. Uh, life under the sun, S-U-N uh, S-O-N, the Son of God. Life under the sun. One of the things that, that came to my mind as I was reading Ecclesiastes was that Jesus Christ lived his life under the sun. He lived in the same world that the author of Ecclesiastes speaks of. The author of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us because he lived the same experience that we've lived. He felt the same pains and the the same frustrations and the same grief. He um, felt the sun burning his face on a hot day. He thirsted. Uh, When he was wandering in the wilderness, he hungered. He saw how people are born and how they die. From dust uh, they came, and to dust they will return. Jesus saw that. He he saw the, the, uh, the frustrations of sickness and death all around him. He experienced fatigue and weariness. He experienced life under the sun. But never, not once, did he ever say that life is meaningless. Never did he throw up his hands and say, I give up. No, Jesus came with a purpose. And that purpose was to glorify his Father and to save us so that we would join him in glorifying his Father. Again, the the chief end of life, the Catechism says, the meaning of life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Jesus came with a purpose. We also remember that his death on on the cross also accomplished that purpose. What did that accomplish? Well, with his blood, he bought you for a purpose. He bought your life. People people sometimes mistakenly think that, that Jesus came to give us a ticket. No. Jesus came to buy us. To purchase us. So that not only would we live for him but that we would live for him that's why paul in Romans says if we live we live to the lord if we die we die to the lord so whether we eat or whether we drink whatever we do we do it for that purpose that that in all our actions in some way shape or form that they would bring glory to god we need god's grace to help us do that because we fail doing that we don't do it as we should And yet, God is so gracious in giving us uh, the, the supply that we that He requires. He supplies what He requires in giving us the grace to live for Him and to serve Him. Earlier we sung that song, Take My Life and Let It Be. All you purpose, Lord, for thee. And you were singing about this very thing. Take my moments, you said to God. Take my days, take my hands. Take my voice and let me sing. Take my silver and my gold. Take my will and make it thine. Take my love, Lord. Uh, Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. And so we, we as Christians understand that life isn't meaningless, but that God sanctifies our life, meaning he sets our lives apart for a purpose, that we would be part of his plans and his purposes for his kingdom in this world. So, the point I'm trying to make here is that Christ lived with a purpose and he came to give our lives purpose. And so when we wake up in the morning and we, when we go to bed at night, we can say to ourselves, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in conclusion, that's my introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes. But we've just opened up the book. We're going to dive into it in greater detail next, li- next week. We are going to have a good look at life. Uh, we're going to see that it's not meaningless. It's not futile. It's not futile. It's not vanity. As long as we understand it in light of Christ. And I want to leave you with this quote. Because we've talked a lot about um, have living life for the glory of God, and living life with a purpose. But as I said, we need God's grace and his help in enabling us to live that life. And so I want to leave you with this quote written by the hymn writer Horatio Bonar. And it addresses the challenges of life in this fleeting, this toilsome, this repetitive, and this tiring world. And it reminds us that as we live for Christ, and as we live with meaning and purpose, that the Lord will always supply us with his grace. And he says this, and you can probably read it with me. The road is rugged and the sun is hot. How can we be but weary? But in Christ Jesus, we find grace for the weariness, grace which which lifts us up and invigorates us, grace which keeps us from fainting by the way, grace which supplies us with manna from heaven and water from the smitten rock, we see we receive grace and we are revived the weariness of heart and limb departs and we need no other refreshment this is enough whatever the may whatever the way may be rough gloomy unpleasant we press forward knowing that the same grace that has always carried thousands through will do the same for us and i might add that this grace gives meaning and purpose to life so as you look at the world as you observe it through the lens of Ecclesiastes as you see out oh, this is fleeting you know this is toilsome this is tiring um, we have a God who in Christ gives our lives meaning and a God who also calls us to find our true rest in him let's pray Our Father in Heaven, we've looked at this evaluation of the world. Um, we, it resonates with us. It is true that there are things in life that are toilsome, that are tiring, that are um, fleeting, that are wearying. Many of us have experienced the, the toil and pain of living in, in this fallen world. Lord, some of us are discouraged and, and uh, burdened by the pains of life. But Lord, we know that we can Uh, find true rest in Christ. Our only comfort in life and in death is our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, um, this week, as we experience life in this fallen world, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, draw us close to Christ and that we might find our life's hope and comfort in uh, the gospel. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.